Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to The Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. Happy to have you all with us. We are starting part two of chapter four. And when this comes out, Kelly will be, what is your new last, are you taking his last name? I am, yeah. Mrs. I should know this, Scannell? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is uh, his friends call him Scanelli. I don't know, in college, somebody started calling him that, but now they've kind of made this joke about just like combining his last name and my name. I love it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so some of his friends are like, oh, you'll be Mrs. Scanelli. Um, but no, it's just, yeah, it'll be Kelly Scannell, which will be different. This is a whole, uh, it's interesting actually talking about family loyalties. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. But there was this piece of me going back and forth of being the oldest child and like, do I need to hold this name for my family? Um mm. My dad being very proud of that. In fact, sometimes my dad would make a joke with Alex or even um, my sister's partner about how they needed to take our name, which lots of people do now. Um, But my dad actually, I think, really wanted that to happen. (laughs) Loyalties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that another kind of neat thing is sometimes when I tell people my name is Kelly Clark, they just think it's so funny to be like, oh, Kelly Clarkson. I'm sure. And I'm like, I I guess that's funny. (laughs) I mean, I don't really care. It's, it's just not funny to me. So now I won't get that. But I do have to move into, Ale- I listen to Alex all the time with his last name. It's like flannel, but with an S, S-C. And, he's, and I'm like, is that what's going to have to happen? Well, I'm just congratulating your future self, which is really fun <laughs> in this moment. Because when this comes out, you will be married. You'll be eating your way through Turkey and celebrating um, in a beautiful part of the world. So. Yeah. Yeah. And if there is something that's related, I will post a picture when we're in Turkey. Yeah. Totally. I, I think you're still not allowed, actually, to be. <laughs> to <laughs> I'll be send you the picture. <laughs> send it to me. I'll post it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, what we found is that really early on in this chapter, on page 51, there was a question that Kozalina posed that he asked his clients. And Abby and I are kind of fumbling around with it and still really trying to make sense of it left and right brain and integrate it. And we thought we'd just use the podcast to fumble around with it. Cause we thought if we are, we're sure maybe some of you are as well then. Yeah. And if you have a different take or perspective or offering, please send it to us. We're so glad to, to hear you and we could even put it on the next episode. 
Yeah, if you want to send an audio clip and if you're like, I really don't want to have people hear me, uh, send us an email. Mm -hmm. We can also keep you anonymous and just say like, hey, we got this other perspective. They yeah. don't, we're not going to share their name, um, but we'd love to just bring more people in with us. Yeah. He talks about the the failing of the field. I think that's how he says it in like addressing the individual in such isolation. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to undo some of that failing or redo or repair that by inviting you all to read with us or to even share with us. I think we can just all grow more together. So it's really not just me reading this or Kelly reading it or the two of us. We just want to incorporate more community. And it is making me think back to our conversation around um, incorporate, like just incorporating families. Yeah. Right? Thinking about therapy and how we want to bring the family dynamics into the room. Mm -hmm. And if we can, like getting actually those other family members in the room. And I just want to normalize what I shared with Abby earlier is like being trained as a marriage and family therapist and then continuing to do systems work. I can't think of a family session that I have done even recently where not before the session, I'm not feeling really anxious. Yeah. And that certainly comes from just my own family of origin uh, work that I need to be doing and am doing that there, when families communicate that's scary and it means that there's problems and it means that people aren't going to be okay. And every time I do the family therapy session after the end, I'm like, Oh, that <laughs> felt so good. It was so great. It was so helpful. But once you see it, it's just really difficult to not to unsee it. Yeah. I was struck by how you said that earlier. I can't unsee it. So we get to hold, and I resonate with this, working in systems and anxiety every single time. I can't think of one time ever that I've not held anxiety because of my own stories too around mm -hmm. families. But you can hold your anxiety while also holding the importance and clinical sacredness in involving the family. So we get to be with both. We can't dissociate anymore. Right. And unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Should we go through this question? Yeah. Maybe we're avoiding. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer, right? My perfectionist is like, I don't know. Maybe we'll come to it, but I think we'll, we'll have to sit and being okay with it. We might not. It's an unfolding emergent thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On page 51. Yeah. So it, I will say just the beginning of the sentence says, the barriers to pursuing your dreams usually come in the form of relationships and circumstances that arise during adolescence. So imagining a client where they're not pursuing their dreams, that's what they're coming to you with. Yeah. And what Cozzolino is saying is that he wants to ask this question to those clients who come in and they're pursuing their dreams, but there's a, a ton of barriers. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have to have strong rapport with this client before asking this. And he also says in order for this question um, to be helpful, the client needs to name the first person that comes to their mind. And so Cozzolino's question is, if you were a success, found the love you've been looking for and were just happy, who would be wrong? Mm. If you were a success, found the love you've been looking for or were just happy, who would be wrong? And clients are to come up with the very first Mm -hmm. person that comes to mind 
And what Abby and I have been discussing off the podcast is that many clients might say me. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought. Well, I would be wrong. Me. Yeah, so the example that Cozolino gives is, here's a dad who is highly successful and this client comes and they can't, there's all these barriers to pursuing their dreams and their success isn't working out. And essentially Cozolino asks this question. Mm -hmm. And what Cozolino is talking about is, there's this unspoken loyalty yes. that I can't surpass my dad's success. So we begin to create all these scenarios so that that loyalty remains. And we know how important connection is. And that's why people do these things. That's why there's these invisible loyalties in families so that we can remain connected so that we can survive. Yeah. Well, and, and we know that I think Siegel says it's up through age six or seven um, that that the answer like, well, me comes from that little child place of like, it, it protects from the insurmountable grief that it could not be a parent. Like in his example, it could not be his father. Mm -hmm. um, children, they biologically cannot put blame or grief where it needs to go because they depend on their caregiver for survival. And so I think if, if a therapist had asked me this, I would need help sifting through that question so if I were saying, well, it's me, or if your client's like, well, it's me, I would be wrong because I don't get to. Mm -hmm. It is indicative of the betrayal towards whomever in that family of origin and and needing to sift through well, if it was okay, mm -hmm. if it was okay to be successful, or if it was not only permissible, but your birthright yeah. to have joy, right? Then who would be wrong? Um then you can begin to, I, it seems like you're uncovering the hidden grief. Like it's, and Robin says that too, Robin Goble, how much easier it is. I'm butchering how she said it to hate yourself than to put that grief on. It's just so sad yeah. to put it where it goes. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking two things. If, if I had been asked that question, mm -hmm. if I hadn't known or had talked to the therapist about family of origin stuff prior and they just asked me that question mm. i actually might answer like well nobody would be wrong everything would be okay yeah i'd have my success i had found the love like why are you asking me who would be wrong mm -hmm. so i do think it would be needing to take a step back there has to be all this work up front yeah. again before asking this question which she says that's right so let's make sure the clients have this information about the family history their family of origin, some of the dynamic issues, mm -hmm. and then ask this question. Yeah. But then yes, you're correct. I would then say me, and that is absolutely because it would be my younger part. The child part, yeah. Even if, I, I can imagine some people that would say, well, it'd be fine. No one would be at fault. Mm -hmm. I mean, then you're in like a pocket of dismissive attachment, right? Yes. So that's good information too. To then just be with how fine it would all feel. Yes. And how disconnected maybe from the body that response is. Well, and that's what he says in this chapter yes. too, is that these family loyalties essentially create dissociation from ourselves. I just loved that verbiage. I think it's on page uh, 53 at the bottom. And he's talking about how as we participate as children and teens, we cannot be aware of the dynamics that we're taking part in because there's usually this 
unspoken rule. We don't talk about it. It's kept out of awareness Mm -hmm. as a family. And then he said something so interesting that Kelly and I have talked through that this is an everyday form of dissociation made possible by having multiple neural streams capable of operating separately from one another. So participating like in a protector part way, or, you know, for me, being more of a caretaker, parentified, that part that has to take care of others is a different neural stream that can operate completely separate from this other part that longs to be cared for Mm -hmm. or is connected with like, oh, I'm not being cared for and that, and how dissociative that is. And we know that, but I think something about the way he phrased it felt really helpful about the everyday dissociation. Yeah. I guess I get curious about where he says that sometimes we don't know that we're participating in it. Mm -hmm. I have um, a supervisee who had worked with a client. This was, I felt like just such a beautiful therapeutic moment that was described, but this kid was struggling with anger, uh, but would not use the therapy space to kind of like present it, talk about it. And when the therapist attempted to try and bring it in, the kid actually started to sing, we don't talk about anger. (laughs) So at some level, this kid knew. Yeah. Right. And then this therapist um, went back and said, but I want to talk about anger. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I just love that movie so much. Yeah. Um, But the part in session with the therapist that knows is probably not the part in the family at home mm, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. Because they wouldn't be allowed to. I'm assuming in a family that can in a system that continues to operate and function the way it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. they couldn't be there co-consciously. Maybe. Yes. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like us doing our own work. And then every time you go back into your family system, you're like, wait, it all unraveled. <laughs> what happened? I had all these boundaries. Dude, I just saw my mom for four days. Yeah. And I realized I haven't spent four days with my mom since I was 17. Oh, my gosh. And um, my inner teenager was full. I mean, it was just incredible to me how much that gets stirred up even after all this work, mm-hmm. I just had so much. And, and what felt different was to have so much more compassion for all parts being there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for clients too, like my teen clients that are still living in it can deepen that empathy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think back to even just as we're saying this, I'm still sitting with, well, we don't want clients to say, well, I'm to blame. I think that's why you and I are try, still trying to figure out this question, because what Cozolino is saying is the purpose of this question is help to help them uncover family loyalties, the embedded loyalties. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, well, so whatever they answer, I think if we come from a curious place, that's all of Cozolino's work, isn't it? Um, what does he call it? Like gentle curiosity, something like very uh, whimsical, but. If we're asking from a curious place and not an agenda, like, I know it's their mom. Mm-hmm. I want them to answer my mom. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, nothing would be wrong. It'll be fine. Or it's me who would be wrong. To be really curious and just follow that. I wonder if over time you'd uncover not who's to blame, but like who holds their loyalty in the family. Yeah, maybe it's... Maybe from a narrative approach, right? The loyalties yes. are to blame. A person is not to blame. Yes. The loyalties are to blame. Let's like externalize loyalties. Mm-hmm. 
pick a miniature for loyalties. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now I'm looking at all your shelves like, that would be such a good prompt. Yeah. yeah. We're both like looking like, gosh, what one would I pick? I know. I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. The first image that comes to mind that I know I have over there for some reason is a key. Hmm. I, and I don't have much, I don't have many words after that. I just, I'm like, oh, I think I picked the key. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know what that, what that's about. Hmm. Yeah. And if they did say it's me or nothing, everyone's fine. It would be fine. I think exactly to your point, I would say, okay, well, let's just sit with that and notice that. And I would try to get them to be in touch with the sensations in the room, the body. Well, and what, what's the story with that answer? If it's me, what does the belly brain say? What's the story from the belly brain, the story from the heart brain to connect? They're, they're going to have different stories about that answer. Yes. So, And then generally what I will do is after we've sat for a while with the body, I might say, and there might be, there might not be, but is there an image mm-hmm. that's coming up with this? You could do a non-dominant hand drawing. Yeah. Yeah. And make an image of, to make it. So it seems like as we are exploring this question, it fe- there feels like there's more room, even as you and I are wondering, mm-hmm. to not, once again, not have an agenda. I think that I felt some uh, judgment towards my answer. Like I would have said me, and I know I'm not supposed to say that. Mm. And and maybe similarly, like, well, I might have said nothing's wrong, mm-hmm. and I'm not supposed to, quote, say that. Right. So it goes back to being curious about what's arising and following the client in a right hemisphere sense with body and imagery and the story underneath the words. Yeah, because I guess as I told you, like my response would have probably been, well, nobody's wrong, everything's fine then. Yeah. That would be from my own family origin of the adult in my life, right? Like I could not be mad at them or they couldn't be wrong. In fact, what did my stepmom and dad always used to say? I don't remember what they would say, but it was something around how they're never wrong. Mm, mine too. Yeah. Are you finished or are you done? <laughs> are you finished or are you done? Maybe I would say something like, do you want to know something? They'd be like, well, I know everything, but go ahead. Yeah. So yes, maybe that would maybe that's why it would be my answer because the grief of having to unveil the curtain, what she talks about yes. in this chapter, is like, oh, there it all is. Right. So this question, I think what it does is this question takes the curtain and opens it up. Yeah. And it would make sense that clients might not be ready to open the curtain because back to once you've seen it, you cannot unsee it. It is a matrix analogy again, <laughs> <laughs> which dates us probably. Um, yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true though to that. Of course, it's integrating for me as we're talking about this. Of course, a protector adaptation strategy would arise from this answer. It would arise as strongly as the grief is behind it. Yes. And let's just hold as we're kind of coming to an end here that what Kozalino also talks about, this is not about blaming anybody, no, right. right? Which is why narrative therapy is beautiful because it's like, well, the loyalties are to blame. Yeah. But remembering what we've talked about on this podcast and what we know about science is that if my father worked really hard, like this example Kozalino gives, mm-hmm. 
that's a protective part that he learned from yeah. his parents who learned from theirs. And we know about the eggs being in the grandmother and how that's impacted up to at least three generations back. Yeah, we can all just agree that at minimum, we hold stories and narratives from at least three generations back and how how maybe that shifts. It does for me, at least. It just shifts how we, the, the grief behind it. And we didn't even talk about at the end how he was talking about the, um, how our, well, he didn't say loyalties, but you could say that our, our loyalties can be to narratives throughout generations um, and systems and environments. And um, there's so much there yes. transgenerationally, the narratives. Much deeper narratives. Exactly. Yeah. More deep, deep through time, deep through self. Yep. Um, but we are not going to do three parts on this one chapter. So yeah, it seems like it. we could. We could, uh, but we want to hear from you if you have thoughts or questions or um, if you disagree strongly with anything, please let us know. And I think we're going to close with one of these flora healing cards. Yeah. So I just kind of energetically felt a card and grabbed it. And it's the lotus. It says, Lotus is a sacred symbol for many cultures and religions. It offers lessons about determination and emergence. Often adored for what we can see above the surface, we must not forget the elements that live below. Mucky and smelly, the bog is vitally important. This environment encourages deep contemplation to give rise to silent intention and conscious action. When you are stuck ruminating on the end result, step back and consider your beginning. And I would say to relate this to what we're talking about, when we're stuck ruminating in that surface level content, why don't we just step back and begin to think about family of origin stories or this quote that we have from Albert Einstein in the same chapter. It's not that I'm so smart, but I stay with the question much longer. Mm. Thanks for being with us. Our hope is that you find a safe other to be with the questions longer. Mm.